Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by the Oregonian and Oregon Live dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Vicki Connor. Together, we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today, in honor of spooky season, we're exploring some of the most haunted places in Oregon. From ghost towns to haunted hotels, there's no shortage of creepy places in Oregon. And here to tell us all about those places, we have our colleague, features reporter and videographer, and resident spooky things expert, Samantha Swindler. Sam, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Happy Halloween. Happy spooky season. It's the best time of year, the most magical time of year. Sam, you are, this is like your time of year, right? This is like when when you really come alive. This is your Super Bowl. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> this is my month-long Super Bowl. I have been planning for <laughs> Halloween since, you know, since summer. This is when I take all of my vacation. I work, I'm like, I will work Christmas. I will work Thanksgiving. I need every Friday during October off. This is the best time of year. <laughs> well, in short, what are you what are you doing this year? Do you have anything anything big planned? Any big decorations? Any big events? Well, you know, I have Boner Simpson out. That's my 12-foot skeleton. <laughs> is that okay to say on the podcast? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then I have my giant, my giant spider, and then all my spider webs and, and the army of baby spiders. You know, that's kind of my my bread and butter at my home haunt. Um, but then I do contribute a lot, and I'm building some new props for our commu- our neighborhood haunted forest. So if you live in Milwaukee and you want to come down to the haunted forest at Homewood Park, you can see the other half of my Halloween decorations. Um, but then I, you know, I there's a bunch of like spooky theater going on right now. I just saw Misery. Uh, at, at Beaverton, it's immersive play where you get to be like in the cabin with Annie Wilkes. It's amazing. Um, went and got my pumpkin spice mead down at Weird Hall. And then I, my husband and I drove around to look at Halloween lights. Like I think people do this for Christmas, but I think Halloween lights are even better. So we went to actually stop by Mount Tabor Creations, which has this great Audrey too and this gigantic spider. Um, there's just so much creativity, I think, with Halloween. So there's, there's tons of things to do and see. And I haven't even started my haunted houses yet. So like visiting haunted houses. Well, obviously, there, I think there's a ton of stuff in and around Portland to do. And like, I just feel like Portlanders in general love Halloween and spooky season. Um, but there's also stuff all over Oregon to 
indulge your spooky senses with. And I know that you've done some travel recently, Sam. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the spooky places you've been to around Oregon? Yeah. So I get to travel around a lot for our Here is Oregon content. And I am year round, I'm always looking for ghost stories and hotels that have a haunted past. I've stayed in a couple of supposedly haunted places in Oregon. I think probably the most famous haunted hotel is the Geyser Grand in Baker City. Have you guys stayed there? No. No. I've seen it. It's a beautiful building. Um, It's gorgeous, but I've not been inside. Uh, It's amazing. So there's a story that there is a, a lady in blue who is, there's a whole bunch of ghost stories out of the Geyser Grand. And the the most uh, famous one is this lady in blue who allegedly like wanders through the halls and she is known to like pinch people's backsides in the bar at the hotel. (laughs) Um, I don't know. She's a little bit of a lush. Um, She supposedly inhabits suite 302, which is like the top floor suite right under the cupola. Cupola, am I saying that right? Um, it's the best view in the hotel. So like if you've been to the Geyser Grand, it's right on the corner of Main Street in Baker City. And there's this like round kind of like clock tower thing. And the top room that gives you the best view is Suite 302. And I stayed in that room looking for this ghost. Um, and I didn't find the ghost. But there are definitely like spooky vibes in that hotel. Like there are vibes in that place. Um, it's got 18 foot ceilings. There are like two chandeliers in the hotel room. It has this one of the best bathtubs that I've ever been in because it's huge, got jets. It does feel like you could be in a haunted movie in that in that hotel room. Um, but I slept like a baby, so I don't know that there was a ghost or not. But <laughs> but it's great. And and I talked to all the different hotel staff, like just kind of as a busybody, nosy person, just like, hey, do you have any ghost stories? Do you think this place is haunted? And every one of them has a story, like some bizarre story about things moving or noises that they hear, laughing in the basement, that kind of a thing. Do you know the lady in blue, like what – did she perish in the hotel or what's her story? So the hotel staff call this person Annabelle. Where these names of ghosts come from, I have no idea. But they say Annabelle is dressed in like late 19th, early 20th century clothing. And she has like a Gibson girl hairstyle, which you would know it if you saw it. It's sort of like your hair is like piled up on top. Um, And I and, – and the stories were that she – was some kind of matron of the geyser family. And I actually looked to try to see if there was someone in the historical record who fit this description. And the wife of hotel owner Albert Geyser, her name was Annie Bernice. Uh, It's not really Annabelle, Mm. but there is a photo of her in this beautiful dress. It's a black and white photo, but it definitely could be a pale blue dress. She's got that Gibson girl hairstyle. And, um, she did hang out at the hotel a lot. So that could have been the suite that she hung out at. Uh, she was a much younger than her very rich husband, uh, shock. Um, she was a cook in like one of the mining camps that his family owned. And so she, the family stories are that she would cook for the hotel or oversee the kitchen at the hotel. So it's very possible that like that was the suite that she stayed in and she managed the, the food affairs at the hotel. I found her like great granddaughter and she told me all about 
uh, Annie. They called her Birdie. So it was like her great, great grandma. They called her Birdie. Um, she played the piano. She told me a little bit about her grandmother or great grandmother. Like, I think ghost stories are most interesting when you can tie it back to like an actual person. That's a great hotel. I don't know if it's haunted or not. <laughs> Such good sleuthing. If you believe in ghosts, I think you are more likely to attribute any kind of like weird noises or creaking or slightly unexplained things to ghosts. And as much as I truly in my heart do love spooky season and watch horror movies all the time, I don't know if I actually believe in ghosts, <laughs> which is kind of disappointing. I wish I could suspend my disbelief. I will. Okay. The only time I've had maybe a kind of weird thing happen saying in a supposedly haunted place this is moving on to was at the hotel Condon in Condon, Oregon. I don't know if you've been to Condon, Oregon. It's super cute. It's in the middle of Oregon, which is in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> the reason I went is because it has like a secret pals location, but there's a really old hotel there. I think it might be the only hotel. Condon has like 800 people who live there, right? The hotel Condon uh, dates back to 1920. Supposedly it's haunted. I stayed there and I just had like a creepy, weird feeling in the whole time I was in that hotel room, and I cannot really explain why. It's a perfectly clean hotel room. There were very nice people at the front desk. Um, it's just got a really weird vibe to it. The vibes are off. And I swear to God, I woke up in the middle of the night at like two in the morning and both my ears popped. Like I sat up in bed and like both my ears popped. And I just thought like, I don't know. I just had like a creepy feeling to the point that I did not get up and like there was a mirror on the wall, you know, like if I sat up, I could have like looked in the mirror across the from the bed and I was like, no, I'm just going to go back to bed. <laughs> I love that. So I don't believe I don't believe in ghosts, but if there is some kind of presence, there may be something at the at the hotel condon. You know, like I would rationalize this and be like, well, I had one over the mountain, you know, so your ears pop. Sometimes when you go over Mount Hood, but probably not like eight hours after the fact, right? Weird stuff happens, I think, all the time that we can't explain. And that is that is true. Um, whether or not it is a ghost, you know, is is uh, I, I, I'm with you. I think people if you're looking for ghosts, you can find ghosts. And if you if it doesn't occur to you that there might be a ghost, then I think you, maybe you probably won't won't run into them which means i mean these places that like advertise like hey, we've got this or they don't even advertise but they have like this like these these haunted places these haunted rooms of the hotel i imagine the people who are going for that are the ones perhaps like yourself who are like you know is there a ghost can i see something will it be scary what's the deal um so i mean i i guess i'm curious Sam. so when you i mean are you like are you psyched when something like this happens something creepy oh yeah Oh, Jamie, I would love to see a ghost. I would love to be scared <laughs> out of my mind. I would love to see something fly off a shelf. Like that would be the best thing that would ever happen. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. Like I want it to happen, but also I think my rational brain is just like a little too rational. Um, but they're fun stories, right? And ghosts are good business. I mean, a lot of hotels sort of promote the ghost factor because it brings people in. That could be a good segue to Shanico. Because Shanico really promotes itself as a ghost town. I wasn't sure when I when I first went to Shanico, I was asking people, like, do you call it a ghost town? Or like, is that like kind of offensive to tell people <laughs> that you live in a ghost town? Because, you know, like you live here, so it's not 
totally a dead town. Um, but no, no, they love it. Like they call themselves a semi-ghost town. Shinako is in nothing. It's like the closest quote unquote town I think is Maupin. It's between like Maupin <laughs> and Antelope. Tells you everything you need to know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that really narrows it down for people, right? Like, oh yeah, Maupin. Yeah, I know where that is. Really pretty middle of the like middle top of the state. Yeah, it, it's three hours east of Portland in Wasco County. I'm obsessed with Shanico. It's amazing. Everybody in town is awesome. And by everybody, I mean two dozen people because there are two dozen people who live there. It's still an actual town. Like it's a municipality. Like it has a city council. They run like water and trash service. That's pretty much all they do. But um, it is like an old west town. And Shanico as a city basically was only relevant for 10 years. It was a town that cropped up because of a railroad and the railroad went south to Shanico and then north up to the, I guess the Columbia river. And there was a bunch of like sheep farmers, wool farmers, and they would like put all their wool on the train there in Shanico and ship it up. And it was like the wool buying capital of the world. Like anybody who's anybody in wool went to Shanico. Shanico became a town in uh, 1900 and then, but by 1910, there was a rival rail line that opened up that had like a better route and it went all the way south to Bend. And Shanico basically just like got deserted. At its peak, there were 600 people who lived there. And then after 1910, well, there was a fire. The mayor was assassinated. And then the town just sort of had a slow decline after that point. So talk about a good ghost story. Okay. So Shanico has like, I don't know, a handful of buildings. Um, and there's one really nice building and it's this big two-story red brick and it's right at the I mean there's I don't even know the street names there's only one street so it's at the corner of like the street and the one other street um and it it's the hotel it was a restaurant it used to be a bank and the mayor worked at the bank and the mayor slash banker got shot right in front of the hotel room or right in front of the hotel in the street there um so there's all these stories about the ghosts that haunt uh that area including the mayor um, the hotel was closed for years and years and it just reopened, uh, this summer. Um, and I got to stay there and I was the first guest before it even like officially opened. They let me be the only person who stayed there, <laughs> um, which was kind of creepy because I guess ghosts or no ghosts, like just being the only person in a very old hotel at night is, is strange. Um, it's a small town. And when I say small town, like the staff leaves at night, like there isn't anybody at the hotel. They just like lock the door and they're like, here's our number if you get, if anything happens. But it's beautiful there. And you're really out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I mean, there's nobody like you can like look out the window, you can step and like lay in the middle of the street and, and you can, it's, it's near a highway. So you can hear like cars go by every now and then, but the town itself is just dead. It's very cool. I also slept really good in that hotel, so I didn't experience any ghosts, but um, <laughs> the the staff, okay, so there's a whole bunch of weird things about Shanico, including that the fire department runs the hotel. Um, <laughs> like if you live in a town, yeah, if, there, if you live in a town of like two dozen people, there isn't really a tax base, and so there's nothing to fund the fire department. So they have this arrangement with Robert Pamplin, who of the Pamplin newspaper, Pamplins. Yeah, this story is so weird. To operate the hotel, and then the money that they get from the hotel 
goes into a nonprofit that funds the fire department. <laughs> so you can spend the night in a possibly haunted hotel and support your local firefighters. It's really great. So, okay, I will tell you, okay, there's one, I have one creepy story out of Shanico, which is when, as soon as I checked in the hotel, again, I'm the only person in the hotel. I'm the only person upstairs in the hotel. I go down the hallway and this is like real, the shining stuff. There's like this little rubber blue ball just in the hallway. Like there's no kids. And I'm like, what is the deal with, that's weird. And then later I'm talking to the lady uh, at the front counter and she's like, oh yeah, you know, we have a ghost child and she plays with the ball and, you know, every now and then the ball moves around. And I'm like, oh, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> um, and then I did notice that the ball like would be at different points in the hallway. Um, now I'm, pr I'm pretty sure that the people who work there are just messing with me, but it's pretty funny. So, I mean, I'd be curious if there's still a blue ball rolling around the hallways at the Shanico Hotel. Yeah, I just like how much do these hotels really play up to, you know, the haunted factor going on? I think in Shanico, it's definitely like the draw. I mean, the, Shanico is famous as a ghost town. And so if you're going to Shanico, you're probably looking for something weird. Um, the Geyser Grand is legitimately just a beautiful, fancy, you know, estate of a hotel. So they don't need the ghost thing. I think it's just like a fun bonus for them. And the Hotel Condon, I don't know, actually. That makes it even creepier. <laughs> I think any if you go if you stay at any hotel in Oregon and it's older than a hundred years, somebody's gonna tell you that it's haunted. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because that's not like so old in the grand scheme of things. Oh, I know. But there's like something it's about Oregon that old. like turn of the century, old west, gold mining era, Oregon. You know, if you're talking about um the the guys are grand, like, yeah, of course there's like, you know, a gold mining heiress or whatever who's you know been killed in some dramatic way or something like that there there's always going to be i think that isn't about that that the old west um like uh just that time period that is ripe for ghost stories well that was like the height of spiritualism in america right so after mm -hmm. the civil war um you know so many people died and so many awful and gruesome ways um, that people were looking to connect to the spirit world. And so, you know, this is when you get Ouija boards and seances and, and these sorts of things were pretty popular, like parlor things that people did. So it's, um, it's a callback to like a really spooky time. And I think as, as white people came to Oregon and started building things, this was kind of around that time. So you, you say you got one more spot on your list you gave us here. Um, what can you tell us about Night Hall and Forest Grove? So um, this is not actually a hotel, but this is the admissions office to Pacific University. Pacific University is, I think, the second oldest college on the West Coast or definitely in Oregon. It's really old. Night Hall was originally constructed as a residence for the first president of Pacific University. His, his name was Sidney Marsh. And he died right before they finished building it. He died of tuberculosis, so he never actually moved into the house. But his widow lived in the house. 
and she lived there until she died in 1910. It was just a private residence. It was owned by you know a couple of muckety mucks in Forest Grove. And then in the 1940s, Pacific University purchased it for housing, and they used it as a, initially a women's dorm. Then it became a frat, and then it was the music department for many years uh, until the 1990s, and then it became the admissions office. So anyway, throughout that time period, dating back to when it was a dorm, there have been stories of it being haunted, people hearing weird noises, laughter, footsteps, that sort of thing. And in the late 60s or early 70s, a group of students did like a Ouija board session in the attic of this of this building and uh, supposedly contacted uh, a spirit who identified herself as Vera. The building that is now known as Night Hall is sort of famously haunted by a ghost named Vera. And she likes to hang out in the attic. And there is this it's like a beautiful Queen Anne style uh, house with three floors. And in the, the top of the third floor attic, there's this beautiful window that has sort of colored stained glass around the edge of it. And supposedly that's where you can see Vera sometimes at night. Mm. And our wine reporter for the Oregonian, Michael Alberti, mm-hmm. when he was a high school student, he was at a uh, speech and debate tournament at Pacific University. He says as a as a high school student, he saw something in that window and he swears he saw Vera and he has wondered about that story ever since. And so Michael arranged or arranged with Pacific University to allow us to spend the night at Night Hall, which we did like two weeks ago. And we just drank a lot of coffee and we wandered all around. And he had this little um, EMF meter that supposedly measures like um, electromagnetic pulses. We found some things that were pulsing weirdly. We, uh, I borrowed a trail cam and we set up a trail cam in the attic and twice it went off without anything being on the camera, which was freaky. And when we interviewed the staff, they said, oh yeah, this, this like, there's this tiny little like door in the attic and it was, it had a lock on it and it was behind a whole bunch of boxes and things. You can hardly see it. And the staff were like, that's where they had the Ouija board sessions in that little room, but it's been locked for safety reasons. No one's been in there. For safety reasons. Yeah. Quote, safety reasons, right? <laughs> so Michael and I are there at like, you know, midnight and we're like, we got we to gotta see if we can get a closer look at this, right? And we move all these boxes and we get close and we see that the lock isn't actually locked. Like the lock is on there, but it's not latched. So we could get in the room. <laughs> and we get in the room and it is... It is definitely out of like a horror movie. Like every other part of the building has been renovated in some way, and this has not been touched in forever. It's super creepy. It's covered in like spider webs. Um, we found some music reeds up there and a very old vintage beer cap and like a piece of paper that we dated to 1961. It was like a script for a radio, like a college radio station thing about events, you know? And one of the events was you can go hear Martin Luther King speak and we traced it back. Anyway, so I don't think anybody had been in that room since the 60s um, when it was the music department. I think that kids would go up there and they would drink and they would play music and they would try to talk to Vera. And we tried to talk to Vera and Vera didn't want to talk to us that night, but, <laughs> but that was definitely creepy. Oh my God. I think, I think by safety <laughs> reasons, they mean that I think college kids are like getting drunk and trying to break into that space and do Ouija board stuff. That's what I think is happening. 
but there there are a lot of weird stories out of that place. And and if you talk to anybody who's worked in that building, most of them do have a, a strange story of things flying off the wall or, you know, hearing laughter in the basement or the lights all being on, you know, in the middle of the night and there's not supposed to be anybody in that in that building. Um, and because I am interested in historical research, I, uh, Michael and I did try to see were there Vera's who are associated with the college or, or associated with that building. And um, there are s- at least five Vera's who have been students at some point or another at, at Pacific University, but none of them seem to have, you know, died in a grisly way or died at all at Night Hall. So who's to say? It could just be a weird old building. <laughs> Sam, so when is uh, this story or video coming out? Uh, well, definitely this month. Yeah. Um, you can look for it. It'll be before Halloween. I don't know exactly when it's coming out. And it is a video as well as a story or just a story? It's a story. And I, yeah, Michael's writing the story and I did a video. Okay. I, cause I got to see this trail cam footage or whatever's yeah. going off. There's, there's nothing on it. Okay. And you know what was so freaky? So it was Mark Graves' trail cam. And the way the trail cam is set up is that it goes to your cell phone right? Anytime it captures something, he gets an alert on his cell phone. Yeah. So I'd been talking to him and he helped me set it up. And then Michael and I are on the first floor and Mark texts me and he's like, are you guys upstairs? Because the trail cam's going off. <laughs> like that was creepy. Man. Sam, are are we like s- scratching the surface with haunted Oregon places? Like, are there so many more that we're not even talking about that people don't even know? Or is this like kind of the cream of the crop? This is this is kind of it. Oh no! Like every town in Oregon's got a haunted story. <laughs> I mean, St. Helens, you know, Halloween Town, right? Like they've got um, the Klondike Tavern in downtown St. Helens is kind of notoriously haunted. Um, I'm pretty sure the entire city of Astoria is haunted. That makes sense to me. Yeah. I mean, like, if you've been to Astoria, you get it. All respect to Astoria. It just makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I love Astoria, but it's it's a super creepy town. M- Michael tells me that he's been to the Argyle Winery in Dundee, Oregon, and that it is absolutely haunted by a ghost. There was a woman who um, died in 1908, and her ghost apparently uh, still haunts that building. She killed herself. Uh, when she was 25 by swallowing a toxic liquid at her family home. And the family home is, is now the winery today. So. Oof. Yeah. It's a creepy story. Gosh. Well, Sam, I'm curious, you know, for, for anyone who, who wants to follow in your footsteps here, go explore some haunted places, stay in a haunted hotel. If that, if that's up anyone's alley, which I'm, I'm sure it is. Um, what, what advice do you have for folks who, who might want to go check these things out? I don't think there's any shortage of, of spooky places in Oregon. Um, if you just look for like old hotels, old taverns, I think if you stay in an old building that has seen a lot of people come through it, if they're not spirits, there are definitely like vibes in these places that just sort of make you think about the past and make you think about history. So if you just sort of and I say this as somebody who doesn't really believe in ghosts, but if you kind of open yourself up to feeling the vibes of a place, you know, I think it's a little bit spooky. It's a little bit fun. 
And I and my advice for a Ouija board is you're going to need a whole lot of people. Don't do a Ouija board with two people. It's hard to conjure a ghost that way. You need at least like four or five. Sound advice uh, for our spooky season. Um, well, Sam, well, thank you so much for coming on, talking Ouija boards, ghosts, haunted places. Um, always love having you on the show um, and really excited to see what you get up to for the rest of the season. Thank you. I hope you can do something with all that. <laughs> We, def we definitely can. Well, folks, that is going to do it for us this week. Until next time, you can watch our videos on the Oregonian's YouTube channel and view all of our outdoors and travel coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel, as well as HereIsOregon.com. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast, as well as our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Also, if you're a fan of the show and you're interested in potentially sponsoring it, you can get in touch with our marketing people at advertise at Oregonian.com. This episode of the show was produced by me, Vicki Connor, alongside Jamie Hale. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.